Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now August the 11th, 2023. The Orioles are 71 and 44, which is on pace to finish with 100 wins for the season with over 70% of the season's now in the books. They remain in first place, baby, because the Rays lost to the Cardinals on Thursday, and the Orioles, in fact, now have a three-game lead, which is a nice tonic for anyone who is frustrated over how the series went against the Astros. Sure enough, there was plenty in that series uh, that could be fodder for anyone who believed that the Orioles needed to be more aggressive at the trade deadline, either acquiring another reliever or perhaps a better or more long-term controllable starter than what the Orioles ultimately got. Uh, Every reliever in the bullpen pretty much in the pre-Felix Bautista group showed some shakiness, and Bautista himself had one absolute disaster and another near disaster. And then in the middle game, Jack Flaherty was just not good enough in his Camden Yards debut. And the same night that Flaherty made his Oriole Park at Camden Yards debut, another 2023 trade deadline starting pitcher, Michael Lorenzen, threw a no-hitter for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, granted, the Houston Astros are a much tougher lineup than the Washington Nationals, which is who Lorenzen no-hit. So, you know, don't get too worked up about that. But it is an interesting contrast right now compared to last year when Mike Elias ruffled feathers by saying the Orioles were not probable to make a wild card spot. And then, depending on how you want to interpret his actions, he flew down to where the team was to specifically reassure them that he still believed in them or whatever. Now, The Orioles, although they are not a lock to make a playoff spot, they do hold an eight and a half game lead over the closest wildcard contender that is not currently in a spot. And that is the Seattle Mariners, who the Orioles play next for the next three games. So, I mean, you know, an epic meltdown is always possible. We as Orioles fans with long enough memories certainly remember the team finishing 4-32 and in the 2002 season, or even much more recently when they finished 4-19 and to completely fall apart in 2017. But, you know, this team has shown more quality and more resilience than those guys. I think we need look no farther than the fact that they were able to win the finale on Thursday afternoon against the Astros after getting buffeted pretty hard by the two losses in the first two games. But they were they came out, they staved off the disaster, and it was really a, nearly a whole team effort to uh, to make sure the Orioles scored five runs and then to make sure that they held the Astros ultimately to four runs. And, you know, that's good. They extended the no-swept streak to 76. The Orioles have still not been swept in Adley Rutschman's Orioles career, plus one series before that, which... Considering how long it's been since Rutschman debuted, it's really amazing. Of course, that record is uh, the post-World War II record in Major League Baseball for consecutive series without a sweep. It's great. 
you know, if you really, really want to get carried away, you can go on Baseball Reference, and it is now tracking magic numbers for teams to win the division. And although they're at, what they're actually tracking is each team's elimination number, which, of course, since the Orioles are in first place, means their magic number is the their closest competitor's elimination number, which is, right now, 44. So, yeah, the Orioles, they have a magic number. It's 44. That's a high number, but it's their number. You know, that's the combination of Orioles wins and Rays losses that would clinch the division for the Orioles. It's not going to happen for a long time if it happens, but, you know, it's a whole lot better to be here in the month of August thinking about, wow, the Orioles are leading the division than it is to be sitting here in the month of August wondering, oh, gee, which day this month are the Orioles going to get mathematically eliminated this year? Because actually, in the 2018 season on this day yesterday, that is August the 10th, 2018, the Orioles were mathematically eliminated from winning the American League East. And at that time, they set a record in the era of divisional play for the earliest a team was ever eliminated. So five years later, the Orioles on August the 11th have a three-game lead, and they have a magic number of 44. Yes, that is a whole lot more fun. And, you know, I get it if you don't really want to start thinking about that stuff yet. In some ways, if you get your hopes up, it's only going to make it worse if there is some kind of epic collapse later or whatever. And I get it. I sometimes have those thoughts myself. Um, You know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard some of them over the previous 51 episodes. But also, when things are going and they're fun, let's all try and enjoy that because enjoyment is not guaranteed in our lifetimes as Orioles fans, or at least those of us who are under about the age of 45, who effectively have no memory of an Orioles World Series winning team, or, you know, anyone who um, is younger than that age also has basically no adult life experience of a great Orioles team, other than maybe the 2014 Orioles, who, of course, did not end up winning any games in the American League Championship Series. So, yeah, you know, we haven't seen in uh, what is now 26 years the Orioles win any games in the American League Championship Series. So enjoy the fun times while they're here. We certainly can hope that fun times will be continuing after this year. And really, I mean, if you want to get down to it, you can hope that there's going to be some improvement in the remainder of this season because Cedric Mullins is supposed to be back sometime as the Orioles are playing the Mariners this weekend. Uh, I am hopeful that he will be healthy this time when the Orioles bring him back. I thought last time they brought him back after a short rehab assignment, he looked a little bit slower to me when he came back from his last injured uh, injured list stint with his groin strain. I felt like maybe he needed more recovery time or a longer rehab assignment. So here we are again. Mullins is missing just about less than a month. So it's like, is it going to turn out well? Did he need longer to get his full speed back? Another question is going to be who is going to get sent down if Cedric Mullins is activated this weekend. 
I feel like, sadly, for me, that's probably going to be Colton Kowser, who is the less, uh, the best candidate to be sent down. Unfortunately, he's now got 74 big league plate appearances in the books. He is batting just 117, although he did rack up some walks early and thus has a 270 on base percentage. Um, he hasn't walked as much since his early days, and at this point, he's now slugging only 150. So... I think that might be the guy who gets sent back down to the minors, and hopefully he can kind of regain some of the form that got him promoted in the first place. We'll see. I think it will be good as long as Mullins is back to anything close to his former self to have him, you know, back in center field. Nearly every game we have felt the lack of him in center field. I mean, that was present just in the series that just concluded against the Astros. Uh, Jorge Mateo took a suboptimal route in the course of a ball that could have been caught in Felix Bautista's ninth inning meltdown on Tuesday. And Austin Hayes, just on Thursday afternoon, took a not great route in trying to rob what turned into a two-run home run hit by Jose Altuve. And... You know, I, I, I genuinely think Mullins would have had a pretty good chance to do a Spider-Man climb and make that catch. And Hayes just did not get himself into position to do it. So Mullins being back is going to be huge. You know, if you really want to go crazy, you can look at D.L. Hall's relief outings in the Norfolk bullpen now that he's finally been put back there from his deloading whatever down in Florida. And I think that that could point to him helping the Orioles in September or maybe even sooner. Uh, although, you know, if you've listened to this show for a while, I am not a huge D.L. Hall fan. I think I would rather have him in the bullpen for the remainder of this season than, say, Cianel Perez, who has just not looked great all season, although he has had a couple of decent stretches. He has also had much more of not doing great. And not to be forgotten either, John Means is now officially underway in his rehab assignment. He pitched two innings for the Bowie Bay Sox on Thursday. So, you know, is he going to be able to get into a position where he can make a couple of, uh, you know, a few September starts? Will he be any good if he is able to make September starts health-wise? Because, as I will note, he had a 4.88 ERA after the Sticky Stuff ban went in in the 2021 season. Although, if you want, you can point out that was also post an injured list stint for means. So maybe he was not fully back to health for the injury uh, that had him on the IL there in 2021. But I don't think that we want to be 100% confident that John Means is going to walk back out onto the Orioles in 2023 and look like the guy he did in 2021 without even getting into the fact that he's coming back from Tommy John's surgery. And although recovery prognosis is usually good, it's also not guaranteed. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so the mailbag is empty for today. If you have an Orioles opinion you'd like to get off your chest, any question you'd like me to answer for a future episode, or any feedback you'd like to send in about the show, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has written in so far. As I am recording this podcast here on Thursday the 10th, there is a fresh off the presses update to the top 30 Orioles 
prospect list from MLB Pipeline. That is a list I like because it is freely available. They update as players uh, graduate from the system and come off through the season, and then they make sure to do a top-to-bottom update uh, after the trade deadline and after the draft. So I think that there is a list that has some challenges. I think one of the things you can say about it is it is struck heavily by recency bias, which is why when I went to on Camden chat before the season, I do a composite top prospect list rather than just relying on one. But for tonight, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the updated one because to me it was interesting. So three of the top five preseason Orioles prospects on that list have graduated to the majors. That's Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, and Jordan Westberg. There's a fourth who is nearing where he would graduate from the list, which is Colton Kowser. Um, although if he gets demoted, as I suspect he should, for Mullins, then he will hang around on the prospect list a little bit longer. So here's the guys who are the big gainers relative to the preseason, uh, where they were on this list. We got Kobe Mayo, hon. He went from 10th before the season to 4th. Samuel Basayo went from 12th up to 5th. That is a nice jump and certainly deserved with how he performed at such a young age as a catching prospect for Delmarva has since been promoted to Aberdeen. Um, pitcher Chase McDermott from the Trey Mancini trade last year has moved up from 19th to 11th. The Orioles seven figure international signing from two signing periods ago, outfielder Braylon Tavera jumped from uh, 25th up to 17th. And the big boy catcher Creed Williams has gone from unranked to 22nd place. And Williams is also at Aberdeen now. The 2023 draft picks who have joined the top 30 are Enrique Bradfield Jr. at number eight. That was the first rounder by the Orioles. Their um, second round pick, Mac Horvath, is 13th. And then the competitive balance round, competitive balance round B, Jackson Baumeister, the pitcher, the highest drafted and signed pitcher by Mike Elias's Orioles to date, is 25th on the top 30. So if you're wondering, the 2022 Orioles draft class had five guys go right into the top 30. So this year it was only three. I think partly that reflects that the Orioles did not have as high draft picks this year. You know, their first round pick mid uh, was only mid first round instead of being number one. Uh, they didn't have a competitive balance round A pick, which is between rounds one and two, which uh, that was Dylan Beavers last year. And he did jump right onto the picks. And, I think also it just reflects that there's more strength in the 21 to 30 range of this prospect list as Mike Elias's international signing players start to develop and as some of his less heralded draft picks to date start to develop. And I think that's a good sign. So, you know, we'll see what it means for the Orioles uh, farm system going into the future. But there are certainly plenty of players, even outside of the top 10, who it's worth keeping an eye on. And I think that the MLB Pipeline list, um, which if you want to see for yourself, it's just MLBPipeline.com. And then you would want to select top 30 by team for the Orioles and see for yourself. And, you know, I think that list reflects where things are going with the form. Hopefully it continues to be uh, good things down on the farm, even now with the Orioles having graduated so many players. Okay, so next up for the Orioles this weekend, the Seattle Mariners in Seattle. 
The Orioles beat these guys two games out of three when they played at Camden Yards in late June. Of course, one of those games, the Mariners absolutely stomped the Orioles. The Orioles lost it 13-1, to but the Orioles went on and won the other two. The Mariners have won seven straight games heading into this series, bringing themselves back within one and a half games of the third wildcard spot that is currently occupied by the Toronto Blue Jays. The Orioles, they're no slouches away from home. They have a 35-21 and 21 record so far this season away from Camden Yards. But it's still going to be a big series. You know, if possible, they want to at least preserve their lead over the Rays, maybe even extend it. The Rays are going to be playing the Guardians. The Guardians are swooning a bit. But then so are the Rays. The Rays are 40-41 and 41 over their last 81 games. So as far as the Mariners, I feel like they kind of took the Orioles path last year of a little bit of light selling at the trade deadline as they were on the wild card fringe. They ended up trading their closer, Paul Sewald, who had a 2.93 ERA at the time of the trade. They traded him to the Diamondbacks uh, with the Diamondbacks getting control of him for 2024 as well. The Mariners received infielder Josh Rojas, age 29, Outfielder Dominic Canzone, age 25, and an infield prospect, Ryan Bliss, age 23. Rojas and Canzone are on the current Mariners roster. And, you know, if the Orioles had traded Jorge Lopez and gotten back guys like that last year, I think we all would have been even more annoyed than we were about the Jorge Lopez trade and could still be more annoyed about it uh, even at the time, having seen how it's gone, because... And, you know, if you're going to trade away a guy, get prospects. Don't get old guys who are not really prospects anymore. That's what I think. Now, the Mariners did not do a huge sell-off, as some thought maybe they should have. They did not trade veteran position players, Ty France or Teoscar Hernandez, who are doing um, fine. They might have had some value to a contender, especially one that suffered an injury at the spots those guys are playing. They're actually both below-average hitters this year. Um, there were a number of people wish casting that maybe the Mariners should have traded some of their long-term control starting pitchers like Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, and George Kirby, all of whom are controllable by uh, the Mariners through at least 2027, if not 2028. So that, I, there were people who wanted that to happen. I think that was more other teams that were coveting those guys than uh, that ever being a realistic thing for the Mariners to decide to do. But no, they didn't. They didn't make big trades. They just traded mostly Seawald. There was also traded uh, AJ Pollock, who has not been very good, so he almost doesn't even count. And after doing that, the Seattle Mariners are seven and one in August. So they basically have gone the exact opposite direction as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, California, etc., who've been buying in trades small and even medium sized since June. They got. Mike Moustakas, they got a relief pitcher, Dominic Leone, they got starting pitcher, Lucas Giolito, and in the same trade, relief pitcher, Reynaldo Lopez from the White Sox. And the Angels did all that, and they're two and seven in the month of August, and they are now six and a half games out of the wild card spot. So just another reminder for anyone out there, there in fact are no baseball gods. They do not reward teams that do aesthetically pleasing things like going for it. And they do not necessarily punish teams who uh, who punt the football a little bit, so to speak, by trading players away. It's just going to be about the talent that's left on the rosters. And unfortunately, the Angels 
have really fallen off, including in a series against the Mariners. And now the Mariners are benefiting. So that's the momentum that they are bringing in to this series against the Orioles. And, you know, it's easy to have a lot of momentum when you've got three very good starting pitchers, which the Mariners do. The Orioles will see two of those guys in this series. The Friday starter, Luis Castillo, as well as the Saturday starter, George Kirby. And even their Sunday guy, who's not in that very good category, Bryce Miller, is in the Dean Kramer, Kyle Gibson level of being fine. But as far as Castillo, he's got a 3.21 ERA this season, 1.049 whip. George Kirby, almost identical, although they've gone different routes to getting these results. A 3.32 ERA, a 1.047 whip. If you are curious how many Orioles starting pitchers have a whip at least that low, the number is zero, although admittedly that's because Tyler Wells is now in Bowie. He has a 1.021 whip, although as we know, he's been creeping up for some time, and that's probably why the Orioles sent him to the minors, because he was heading in the wrong direction. So yeah, their rotation is better than the Orioles' rotation. We'll see how that plays out over this series. The Friday starter, Castillo, he's striking out over a batter per inning with a significant number of innings pitched this season. Castillo has thrown 137 and a third innings. The Saturday starter, George Kirby, he's walking almost nobody. 14 walks issued in 135 and two-thirds innings. All of the guys in this series are right-handed starting pitchers, so we probably will not get any of the weird platoon lineup stuff that has showed up lately against left-handed pitchers. I mean, the Mariners' strength is their pitching staff. They have a 3.74 ERA. That is second best among American League teams. They have a number of good relievers, even after trading Paul Seawald, which is probably one reason why they were okay doing that. There are five guys still in that bullpen who've pitched at least 30 games and have an ERA of 3.55 or better. I'm just going to rattle off the names just for emphasis. It's okay if you don't know anything about them or ever think about them again. Matt Brash, Justin Topa, Gabe Spire, Taylor Tossit, Taylor Saucedo, and Andres Munoz. That's five guys, again, with a mid-three ERA or better. The Orioles have three such guys, Felix Bautista, Yanir Cano, Danny Colom, and, you know, Colom is now on the injured list. Cano has struggled since June, and Felix Bautista is coming off a series where he had major issues in two, uh, the two games where he pitched, and I, I just think he needs a rest, and the rest of the Orioles' bullpen is not affording him the opportunity to rest. But as far as the Mariners' offense, they're a low batting average group. The best of their regular players is shortstop J.P. Crawford with a 266 average. Most of the team has respectable walk rates, although also the team strikes out a lot. They have 171 more strikeouts as a team than Orioles hitters, which is kind of crazy. Like the Orioles, I think the Mariners' lineup lacks one true elite standout hitter who is above a 900 OPS or even an 850 OPS. Um, Seattle does not even have one guy with an OPS over 800 presently among their regular players, although they do have um, they do have two guys at 790 or better. So, you know, it's close, a hot streak in this series for either one of them, which is, by the way, Mike Ford or J.B. Crawford. Uh, either, either one of those guys could get themselves over 800 at least. But, you know, we also know that any random jabroni can destroy the Orioles for one series. 
And the Orioles themselves don't have an A-list rotation. Uh, for this series, it's going to be Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin, and Kyle Bradish, as the team is apparently moving towards having a six-man rotation. Bradish was pushed back from Saturday to Sunday to give him an extra day of rest. Irvin is coming in there to make up the spot. So, you know, I mean, Bradish, he's been pretty good. He is, in fact, the best Orioles starter by ERA, but he has been worse on the road, a 4.06 ERA away from Camden Yards. Kyle Gibson is right on the edge where I think that you could say, I guess that's okay, starts to bleed into, you know, that's kind of not very good. And Cole Irvin has yet to do anything to make me not regret that the Orioles traded Darrell Ernais to the Oakland Athletics for him. Ernais, by the way, OPSing 946 with Oakland's AAA team now. And again, it's not that I think the Orioles are going to miss him on the big league roster with so many quality infield prospects that it sure seems like are going to be there and indeed are in the high minors right now. It's more that I think it would have been good if the Orioles had Ernais in the system 10 days ago to get themselves a better starting pitcher for this season or and or a longer-term starting pitcher who could help beyond just the last two months of 2023 at this year's trade deadline. But that's not the way it's worked out. So, you know, um, I hope Mike Elias gets a trade that's a good win sooner or later. Maybe the Flaherty trade will end up being that. Maybe he'll make one this offseason that looks a lot better. I don't know. But all that said, it is August the 11th. The Orioles have a three-game lead for the division. The Rays have some problems. They've got their latest starting pitching injury is Baltimore Rays. Shane McClanahan is apparently done for the season. So, you know, I'm still taking the under on the Orioles staying on their current pace of winning 100 games. But right now, the Orioles are absolutely capable of winning the American League East. I mean, they're in the driver's seat. They've got a three-game lead, and that's freaking awesome after the misery we had from uh, really after Labor Day 2017 on through about June of 2022. And, uh, you know, it's much more fun to see them winning and angst about the few losses that come along than it is to wonder if the good times will ever come back again. So that's all that I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Monday morning, hopefully with some fun games against the Seattle Mariners to talk about at that time. In between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on Camden Chat. You'll find me on the comments there with the name Eat More SK. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.